For three years now, we have been blessed at Westside to partner with Bear Valley Bible Institute. In those three years, just from the Denver campus, well over a hundred individuals have gone out to preach and teach God's Word throughout this country and in a number of foreign countries. We're blessed to have Parker LaGrange with us this morning. Parker is working with the Dripping Springs congregation in the Austin area. Many of you are familiar with that church. They host Discipleship University each year. Uh, We also have a number of relations with uh, uh, John and Carla Moore. They've been here in times past. They work with the church there. Parker and his wife, Amanda, have been there for just four months because Parker graduated from Bear Valley in December. He's a great young man. I think that you'll see his love for God and lots of ability, but he doesn't show off. He just wants to humbly serve Jesus. It's a delight to have him with us, and it's a delight for us to be able to partner with Bear Valley. Parker. Good morning, church. I've been greatly encouraged by our worship together, and I'm super excited to be here. Uh, I want to start off by saying thank you for uh, letting Mike be a part of uh, Bear Valley Bible Institute, for the elders, for letting him be there with us. Um, As you all know, Mike is wonderful, and uh, as students, we are incredibly blessed to sit at his feet and learn from him, and I know how blessed you guys are to have him here with you all. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along with me. Uh, in John chapter 21 this morning. Uh, But before we do that, uh, let's open with a word of prayer and we'll transition into our message. Our great and awesome God, we are so thankful and we are so humbled that we're able to come before your presence this morning and to worship you. We love you and we are so thankful for the many blessings that you bring into our lives. And this morning we're thankful for your word that we're able to Study and learn how to better our relationship with you. Please be with us as uh, we study your word this morning. Help us to apply it to our lives and to learn how to love you better. And Lord, we love you and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. In 2008, the company Marvel uh, created two new uh, box office phenomenons with The Incredible Hulk and Iron Man. These movies just absolutely took off, and they have grossed an insane amount of money throughout the years. It's been about 11 years since these two movies were created, and since then, they've created 21 movies. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, they released Captain Marvel, and then in just a few weeks, they'll uh, be on film number 22 with The Avengers Endgame. These films not only have made so much money, but they've become very popular for something that you might not think. You would think, okay, a movie itself would make a lot of money, and they'd be famous for the movie, but they're known for something else, and that's their post-credit scene. And these post-credit scenes, the movie ends, and you have one or two scenes that come up after the credits have rolled that reveal the plot for the next movie. So if you've ever seen an Avengers movie you might notice that no one ever stands up when the movie's over because they know that that post-credit scene is going to happen. It's crucial to, to reveal the plot for the next movie. And in the Gospel of John, we have this wonderful story that's laid out for us. 
We see Jesus. We see him turn water into wine. Uh, We see him heal the 5,000. We see him walking on water. We see Jesus die and he's risen from the dead. And many other incredible things happen. And you get to the end of John in chapter 20 and you look at verse 30 and 31. And John writes, Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's the end of the story. And the credits start to roll. And then we're introduced in chapter 21 to this amazing post-credit scene involving Jesus and Peter. But before we get into this post-credit scene, we need to see Peter's story so far. Starting in John chapter 1, we read in verse 40 through 42 that Jesus finds Andrew. And Andrew tells his brother Peter that they have found the Messiah. So they go up to Jesus and Jesus tells Peter that you shall be called Cephas. In John chapter 6, verses 66 through 69 Peter tells Jesus, to whom shall we go? You are the one that has the words of eternal life. We have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. John chapter 13, verses 6 through 9, as Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, he comes before Peter and Peter says, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus tells Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So Peter asks Jesus to not only wash his feet, but to wash his hands and his head. John chapter 13, again in verses 36 through 38, Jesus says that he's going to a place where the apostles cannot go right now. And Peter says, I will lay down my life for you, Lord. I want to go where you are going. And after he says that, Jesus tells Peter that he will deny him three times. In John chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, we see the three instances where Peter denies Jesus. And in John chapter 20, verses 2 through 10, Jesus has been risen from the grave. He's no longer in that tomb, and him and the apostle whom Jesus loved are running to this tomb, and they see that the tomb is empty, and they're excited. And then in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, Jesus appears to them while they're in this upper room, and he says, Peace be with you. And then we see the end of the story in John chapter 20, verses 30. Through 31, that these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you might have life in his name. And the movie's over. That is, until we get to John chapter 21, and we see this epic post-credit scene. Starting in John chapter 21, we have Jesus appearing. He's manifested himself again to the disciples. And here we have Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two of the other disciples together. And Peter decides that he wants to go fishing. Peter is a fisherman, and so he wants to do what he is used to doing. So he grabs the others, and they all go fishing. And we see in verse 4 that Jesus was there with them. He was standing on the beach. These guys have been fishing all night, didn't catch a single thing, And then you have this guy yelling out to them, you have no fish, do you? Cast your net out into the other side. And as they cast their nets out to the other side, notice what happens. Their nets are completely full. 
a huge catch of fish, so big that they need help getting the fish inside the boat. And as John recognizes that it's the Lord, he yells out, it is the Lord. And notice what Peter does. It says that he puts on his outer garment, no, no telling why he would do that, and then throws himself into the sea to go to Jesus. And so you have these other men trying to get all these fish up into the boat. They get to the shore. Peter's at the shore. Jesus is there. It says that he's laid a charcoal fire for them. And they arrive at the shore. And that's when we see in verses 12 through 14 that we approach our meal. It says that Jesus has now appeared to them. This is the third time. And they're eating this fish together that they just caught because they were fishing. And they're sitting around, and they're eating this meal. And they're all here together, except there's one missing, and that's Judas. Judas had betrayed Jesus, and he understood what he had done, and he could not live with that guilt, and he could not live with himself because he did that to Jesus. So he went out, and he hung himself. So here they are. And you can kind of feel the intensity of the situation. Who's going to talk first? I mean, the apostles, they were just out fishing, right? Not doing what Jesus asked them to do, but they went back to what was comfortable. And then here's Jesus eating with them right in front of them. And there's someone else there who's living with a lot of guilt. And that's Peter. Because not only did Judas betray Jesus, but Peter denied Jesus three times, even after Jesus said, you will betray me. And he said, no, Lord, I would die for you. But he denied him anyway. And that's when we see in verses 15 through 17, this conversation. It says, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus looks over at Simon. It says, Simon... Do you love me more than these? That word love, in the English language, we use that word love in a very wide sense. I can say, I love Chick-fil-A. That's very true. It is evident that I love Chick-fil-A. But on the whole other side of the spectrum, I will say, I love my wife. Now, those two statements are true, but one is much more deeper than the other. Well, in the Greek language, we see two specific words in this passage used for that word love. Jesus uses this word agape. Agape love is a self-sacrificial or unconditional love. Some examples, Jesus being the perfect example, was willing to give himself self-sacrificially for the world. Agape love is objective. It doesn't require anything in return. It's always seeking other people's best interest, self-sacrificially. Agape love is not something that is spontaneous. It's a conscience choice, even when you know someone won't do something in return. So Jesus says, Simon, do you agape me? Are you willing to sacrifice yourself for me? Are you going to seek my best interests? Are you going to do what I want you to do? Are you going to act in a way that might be worse For you, for me, do you agape me more than these? What are the these in this passage? 
Well, let's look at uh, verse 3. We need to back up and pick up some context to understand what Jesus is asking. Well, in verse 3, it says, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Verse 5, Jesus therefore said to him, Children, do you not have any fish? Verse 6, they cast therefore, and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Verse 8 says they were dragging the net full of fish. Verse 9, Jesus laid this charcoal fire and fish were placed on it. Verse 10, Jesus said, bring some of the fish which you have caught. Verse 11, this net again full of large fish, 153 fish. In verse 13, Jesus took the fish and gave it to them. So when Jesus asked the question, Simon, do you agape me more than these? He's saying, Simon, do you love me more than these fish? Peter just had this incredible catch. As a fisherman, he's, he's hot. He's excited about that. 153 fish after an entire nightful of not catching a single thing. That's a ton of fish. But now Jesus is asking Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me more than these fish? Well, let's look at Peter's response. He says, Lord, you know that I love you. Getting back to our Greek words, Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. But Jesus said, Simon, do you agape me? And Simon replied, Lord, you know I phileo you. That Greek word phileo is a love word, but it means to be a friend or to have a strong affection towards someone. Peter's saying, Lord, I like you a lot. I'm really fond of you. I have a deep affection for you. But that wasn't Jesus' question, was it? See, Peter could not bring himself to say agape. He couldn't. He knew the decisions he has made up until this point just didn't add up. What were the consequences of sin and guilt in Peter's life? Is Peter experiencing some kind of aversion towards Christ or a a hatred towards Christ? Well, looking at the context, when John said, it is the Lord, did Peter go, oh, no. Oh, that's the Lord. You guys, okay, you guys get the fish together. You take them to the shore. While you're doing that, I'm, I'm going to go over here because I know that might be an awkward situation. No, right? Peter throws himself into the sea. He, he swims straight to the Lord. He wants to be with him. So we're not experiencing some kind of aversion or hatred towards Christ. We're seeing that Peter is being very sincere. His sincerity is preventing him from saying, Lord, I agape you. Because if he wasn't sincere, he would just go ahead and say it. But Peter here is heartbreakingly sincere. And he's sincerely defeated. We're seeing that Peter is feeling this feeling of inadequacy. Because what did Peter say during the Passover meal when Jesus said that he would betray him? Never! Never, Lord, would I betray you. I would die for you. Now Jesus is asking, do you love me more than these? Are you willing to sacrifice yourself for me more than these fish? And he says, I said I could do that for you at one point. But I didn't. I didn't live up to it. 
Now he's being asked the exact same question. And is he just going to say this time, I'm going to nail it, Jesus. I'm going to do it for you this time. He's not. Because he knew that his decision in the past didn't line up with what he once said he would do. He's just defeated. Imagine if your parents or someone you really looked up to asked you to perform a very critical task for them. And you're thinking in your mind, I I can do that. I'm going to nail that. I feel very confident that I can do it. And then you blow it. Not only is there a loss that that person experiences, but you're also feeling very inadequate. But despite that, imagine them coming back to you again and asking you to perform the exact same task. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be a little bit more hesitant before I accept that offer. See, Peter isn't wanting to promise more than what he knows he can deliver. He couldn't deliver last time, so what makes him think that he could deliver this time? So we see Peter's consequences of sin and guilt in his life. But what about in our lives? What are the consequences of sin and guilt in our lives, in in my life specifically? Does it cause us to hate Christ or have an aversion from him? Well, not really. It doesn't even necessarily affect our sincerity. But perhaps our sincerity prevents us from doing what Jesus is asking us to do. We're thinking, I bombed it. And we think about what this causes us to do or prevents us from doing. And from this text, our sin and our guilt in our life prevents us from agapeing Christ. Loving Christ self-sacrificially. We're no longer willing to agape Christ because we keep bombing it. We phileo Christ. We like Him a lot. We come to worship service. I mean, we like Christ, but it's harder to agape Christ when we are continually bombing it. And at that moment when you have the shrapnel from sin in your life and you're trying to get it out and you don't, you're not successful. And Jesus asks, do you love me more than these? And we respond, Lord, you know that I like you. But that's not Jesus' question. And getting back to the text, how does Jesus reply after Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you? He says, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep, some of your versions might say. What does that mean? What is Jesus telling Peter? He's saying, get to work. Peter, get moving. Stop spending your evenings on a fishing boat. Feed my lambs. Do my work. Get out of the boat. Stop fishing. This morning, what is your fishing boat? What is that hobby or that place that you enjoy going where you know it prevents you from agape loving our Lord? Are you willing to get rid of that in your life so that you can truly start agapeing Christ? Jesus said, tend my lambs, do my work, feed my sheep. So, for the second time, Jesus says, Simon... Do you love me? Do you agape me? And Peter replies again, Lord, you know I phileo you. You know I like you a lot, but he can't do it. He, 
I can't get there. I, can't, I don't agape you. I can't say that right now, Jesus. So Jesus switches it up. He sees that he's not making any headway here with Peter. So he says, Simon, do you love me? What Jesus asked, he says, Simon, do you phileo me? Simon, do you like me? Notice what Peter's response was. It says that he was deeply grieved. Why would Peter be grieved? Because he know, the Lord knows all things. He says, Lord, you know all things. You know I phileo you. You know I like you. This is heartbreaking to Peter. He is so heartbroken because Jesus is questioning his sincerity. And Jesus knows that Peter's getting down. And so he offers him some encouragement. Notice verses 18 and 19. Verse 18 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. And at the beginning of verse 19, we have the commentary from John explaining what Jesus just said. It says, Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. Verse 18, in other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, you're not there yet. You're just not, but you will be. And oftentimes, we're not there yet. You're not there yet, but feed my lambs, Peter. You will get there. And for us, it's the same thing. We need to feed the lambs. We need to do the work. Just because we're not there yet doesn't mean we can't get there. And Jesus provides his final solution basically at the end of verse 19. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. What's the solution to sin and guilt in Peter's life? Follow Christ. What's the solution for sin and guilt in our lives this morning? Follow Christ. But what does that look like? What does following Christ look like? Well, in this context, it's moving past the sin and guilt in our lives and following in Jesus' footsteps. But what does that look like? What does it look like to follow in Jesus' footsteps? It's not a literal following in His footsteps. But it looks like agape. It looks like agape love. It looks like giving yourself self-sacrificially for those who are around you. That's what Jesus did. And if we're following in Jesus' footsteps, we are to love everyone self-sacrificially. We are to love our Father self-sacrificially. And he says to Peter, tend my lambs. What does that mean? Take care of the Christians that are around you. Spread the good news. Tell others that there is a great God out there. Do Jesus' work. Do work that furthers the kingdom of God. This is a phrase that John has used all throughout this gospel. A follow me. What does that mean? It means to get behind Christ. He is the one that is blazing the trail for your life. You're not getting out in front of him. You're not wandering beside him. And you're not lagging behind. You're right behind him. You're doing what he says to do. Well, Why? Because he's in charge. He's in front. Follow Christ. Now, Jesus is really getting on to Peter, right? He, he's not letting up. He keeps telling Peter these things that he needs to do. 
And oftentimes when people are getting up honest, what, what's our natural tendency to do? Well, we might get defensive, right? We might raise our voice in return. We might get a little aggressive. We might attack the, per, the person that's attacking you. Or you might even just completely stay away from them. But what does Peter do in response to everything that Jesus has said? We'll look at verse 20 and 21. Verse 20, Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So he's talking about John. Verse 21, notice what Peter does. Peter therefore seeing him and said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? And that's often our temptation, isn't it? When we've got sin in our lives, we no longer look vertically towards Jesus, but we look horizontally. Have you ever deflected the blame on someone else after you've done something that you know was extremely wrong, but you didn't want to get in trouble, so you said, well, he was with me, or he did it, or she did it. We like to push the blame horizontally. But how does Jesus feel about that? Notice what he responds in verse 22. Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So Peter looks horizontally. He, he points to John. What about this man? But Jesus isn't going to stand for that. He says, You follow me. Mind your business and do your job. Peter, you follow me. It, it doesn't matter what he's doing. It doesn't matter what someone else in your life is doing. You follow Christ regardless of what anyone else is doing. You tend his sheep. You follow Jesus. And that's the end of the gospel. And the gospel has ended. But now the ball is in our court. This morning, what are you going to do? Jesus said... You follow me. We know that Jesus came and he served. We know that John served and he followed Christ. We know that Peter served and he followed Christ. But what about you? Will you follow? That's the question this morning. This morning, if you have not become a New Testament Christian, if you have not follow Christ in the way that you should have. And as we study this text, and as you might have been studying with someone else, you realize that you have not been following Christ in the way that you should have. You have not made the decision to agape love Christ. You have not given yourself self-sacrificially for your King. Why don't you do so this morning? Galatians 2.20, we have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's agape love. That's following Christ. Won't you do that this morning? It might be that you're here this morning and you have followed Christ. And you have agape loved Christ. You have shown your love for him and that you have put him on in baptism. But as we study this text, you realize that you've been in the fishing boat for too long. That you've lost track of what it means to agape love Christ. And you're phileoing him, but maybe not even that much. And you want to change this morning. You want to make things right with God. 
Well, this invitation is open for whoever needs to respond to it. Whatever your need is, why don't you come forward while together we stand and we sing.